Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hello, everyone. Hey, everyone. It's Q&A number 43, and I know nothing special about this. I was just going to say the same thing. I don't know. I have no reason why 43 is special. I'm pretty good. Well, hey, I guess my lucky number is seven, and if you add four and three, then I was just going to say that it added up to seven. Same brain. Same brain, Michelle. But this will probably keep happening the more we record and the higher the numbers get. That just gets harder to think of things. But anyways, we are here for a Q&A episode, our 43rd one. And Kate's going to start off with reading the the first thing we got. Yeah, I think this one was a Facebook post, if I'm recalling. Yes, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. All right. So this one reads, hey, everyone, I'm in a bit of a rut at the moment. I keep having this dynamic in therapy where I tell my therapist that I believe her. No emotion just exists out of the blue. There's always, there always is, ah, there always is a reason, there you go, or trigger for it. But especially when it comes to depressive episodes that really worsen my BPD over the course of weeks, I cannot tell what it is. Does anyone have experience with this and can help a sister out by sharing their thoughts and feelings? Well, it's so hard to say, right? It's so hard to say because it's individual for each person when people say things like this, right? You know, the depression just seems to come out of the blue or anxiety just seems to come out of the blue or suddenly I just, I felt sad for no reason or those kinds of things. It's going to be really individual what it actually is. But some general things to think about or just get curious on. You know, I I think this happens a lot where sometimes there's a slow buildup mm-hmm. with emotional experiences that we just don't don't see coming. Um something could have happened days ago and then you go about your life and everything seems fine and then 4 days later <laughs> You know, then it all kind of hits you. Um, Even if you're not consciously thinking about it, what happened four days ago might catch up with you or something like that. Um, And our brains in general, they just sometimes connect weird dots. (laughs) I'm trying to think of an example of this off the top of my head. But, okay, I'll I'll think of one. (laughs) So I was in a car accident. This was about four years ago now, mm-hmm. and I totaled my car. I remember. And let's say, yeah, it was it was not fun. And um, let's say I'm driving along, and let's say I happen to pass by a car that looked like my old car. And then all of a sudden, I, I might not even consciously be thinking about, oh, that car looks like my old car that I was in the accident with. But then maybe I just start to feel a little more anxious. And my brain has connected these dots. <laughs> That I just saw something that reminds me of this. There could be a plethora of examples like this where mm-hmm. you encounter things going through life that might remind you of something that you've experienced before and your brain connects those thoughts because that's what our brain is supposed to do. Our brain is supposed to be constantly integrating new information, but sometimes what it might be picking up on is something that might be really emotionally painful. Mm-hmm. from your past. And then your brain notices this, even if you don't consciously think about it. And then it starts to grow until you eventually notice it and you go, oh, I'm feeling depressed. That probably took root a little while ago mm-hmm. outside of your conscious awareness. So that's just something to to think about. Um And sometimes also, right, like when we have those experiences of being exposed, and I'm going to use the term trigger here really loosely. I mean, I don't mean something necessarily traumatic as a trigger, but again, just 
There's cause. a I, I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a cause, right? There's a thing. Um, you know, we are processing things physiologically in our bodies below the neck at all times. Um, we just don't notice a lot what's going on physically with us and how that might be impacting us emotionally. Um, I actually experienced this just the other day. I was kind of having one of those days at work where just unexpected things kept cropping up. And by the end of the day, my throat was so sore. I went home and took a COVID test because <laughs> I was worried about it. Um, and I didn't have COVID, which was good. But like all of that was impacting me in my body. But it took me a little while to notice it. So the, all of that's to say that, yeah, no emotion exists just out of the blue. But finding those reasons can be very difficult sometimes. We don't notice them right away a lot of the time. Um, in terms of skills that could help with this, I think please can be really helpful for the reasons that I was just naming. When we're taking care of our physical body, we're going to be less prone to experiencing emotions in a big, overwhelming way. So let's say... If you do start to experience depression, maybe it won't, may, I don't know, maybe it'll just be, I don't want to even say like better managed, <laughs> but just like taking care of please will help you weather that better than if you're not taking care of your physical body. So I think please as a whole can really help us to make sure that our emotional experiences don't get too big to where we feel consumed by them for weeks at a time. Um, and some of this, uh, which is so hard, I know, but radical acceptance. It's just accepting that these depressive episodes, they're just probably going to come periodically. And rather than getting hung up on thinking that they shouldn't be there and why is this happening, and getting really hard on yourself and critical of yourself to just be able to take the stance of, oh, I'm feeling depressed again. Okay. And just to try to remind yourself that it passes. Um, so I don't really know how helpful that last bit is because radical acceptance is, it's so difficult, but it's also needed at hmm. times when we're experiencing things that are hard for us to understand. It's better to just accept the thing as it is than to try to spin our wheels trying so, so hard to understand it when that will often just keep us mired in it, trying to figure it out. What are your thoughts, Kate? Well, a few different things. The first thing that I thought about was like little D depression versus big D depression, like capital D depression. I wasn't sure which one this listener was talking about, and I think they need to get approached a little differently with this concept of, you know, emotions coming out of nowhere. Um, little D depression is like, I am depressed about this thing, right? Like, it that is an emotional experience, um, which is, you know, it follows the rules of other emotions, more or less, right? Little d depression does, right? There's these causes. If we, we may never know them, which I'll get to next, but there's something causing it. It's going to be relatively time limited. It needs to be re-triggered to keep going, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. I think that's kind of what I was really alluding yeah, to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yep. I just wanted to say, in case this person was talking about big d depression, like mm -hmm. diagnostic depression, right? This is two plus weeks straight depression. Two plus weeks straight depression, right, with all the other symptoms enough to get, you know, formally diagnosed, etc. Well, that also has causes, but different causes than little d depression, right? Big d depression, um, I would say, you know, Michelle, I don't, I don't think either one of us would want to say an exact percentage, but a not inconsiderable proportion of big d depression involves an amount of um, uh, brain chemistry miswiring yeah. or misfiring right and so there's often a physiological component that is nothing to do with you or your life or <laughs> choices you're making or thoughts that you're thinking or anything else mm -hmm. um it's just your brain has gone serotonin what um you know or something along those lines so right. uh i just want to say that yes it still 
has causes, but that's going to be really different. And you're not going to be able to necessarily in any given moment of a big D depressive episode know why you're depressed in that moment, right? Like, it, it's not a moment-to-moment answer. It's a week-to-week or month-to-month kind of answer, depending on how long your depressive episodes last. So that was the first thing that came to mind was I wasn't sure of this which kind of depression <laughs> this person was talking about and wanted to sort of differentiate between the two. Um, you probably already know this listener, but I will say that this is something I struggle with. So just in case you or other people listening right now have this issue, um, I'm prone to falling into the trap of thinking that because I can't figure out a cause, there isn't one. <laughs> like, well, I know. Um, this, uh, the, the emotion that this crops up with the most consistently for me is, uh, is anxiety. Because most of the time, if any given moment, even if I'm in the middle of having an anxiety attack, if you were like, oh, Kate, what brought this on? You know, what, what, haha, triggered this, right? What was the, what was the thing that, that brought this into motion? I'd have no idea. I never know why I'm anxious. That drives me nuts. And so I want to say it comes out of nowhere. Nothing causes it. It just happens. Um... Because I want to equate my not knowing with there not being an answer. And that's just not mm-hmm. true. <laughs> yeah. There can be answers that we're just never gonna know. We just never get to find out. Which, at least for me, can be hard to swallow sometimes. So just pointing it out for everyone else who has difficulty swallowing that our lack of knowing does not equate to there not being a thing to know. <laughs> We just may not have access to that information for whatever reason. Um, Michelle, I like you talked about the sort of like slow buildup uh, that can happen sometimes with major emotions where it starts with something small, but it adds up over time mm-hmm. kind of thing. I did want to say that when I'm having, uh, honestly, depression or anxiety, this is actually, I think, a lot of the answer to my own question about where my anxiety comes from. It tends to happen when I'm staying in a bad situation where I will get, I'm depressed and I have no idea why, or I'm anxious and I have no idea why. Uh, That tends to be because of this slow boiling background issue. Maybe I'm staying in a job that I know is bad for me and, you know, is hurting me. Maybe I'm staying in a relationship and that could be romantic or friend or familial, right? (laughs) Like, um, any kind of relationship that's turned, is not good for me, right? So when I'm, when I'm toughing it out, sticking it out, staying in a bad situation for whatever reason I am, that's when for me, out of nowhere, emotions tend to (laughs) happen. That's been brewing for a while. Yeah, it is. It's just constant. Sometimes it's like pops up like little geysers, right? It's like, I will make myself known right now. And then it, you know, collapses back into the background where I'm not Mm -hmm. necessarily paying attention to it. So I would suggest maybe look at your life and is there something sort of big and constant (laughs) that might be, uh, you know, contributing to this background rolling boil of emotion that you may not be consciously aware of until it you know, forces its way to the surface for a while. Um, so that's just from my personal life, a lot of that, I guess. Um, as for uh, skills, I like the ones that you were talking about, Michelle. I also was thinking wise mind, um, both to maybe if you're in wise mind, you might have better chance of accessing sort of where those emotions are coming from, but also might be able to more easily settle into a place of, oh, maybe I don't know where it's coming from, but it's still coming from somewhere, right? Maybe sort of settle into that dialectic uh, a little more easily if you can get into a wise mind space first. Um, And also mindfulness of emotions, right? That's going to help you see what you're feeling. It might help to point out sort of the mm, strings back to what might be causing those things, um, the nuances of your emotions, right? So, um, I guess those don't necessarily help you not have the feelings, but ideally either helps you sit with them uh, a little bit more comfortably or maybe even find the answer to the question that you're having. Yeah, that's me, I think. Yeah, good thoughts. Okay, we're going to move on to the next one, which is quite a long one, but we wanted to include all the details of the situation because it felt important. 
So this one says, skills needed for addressing concerns with a housemate. I've been renting a room in someone's unit. I'm on the lease and I've come to realize that they have significant mental health issues and substance abuse issues. I have checked the facts here. I've put some boundaries up in the past, which have worked okay, and I've given myself a boundary of not asking where she is or what she's doing, etc., when she goes away for days at a time, unless I have concerns for her welfare. It makes me a little conflicted, however. I found the less I know, the better. But I feel like she has no respect for the shared spaces because when I come home from work, there are often plates or cups with food and drink left out on the table or the bench, and it's not cleaned up. I've actually bought my own crockery because food was decaying in bowls and we ran out, or when it was washed, it was still too dirty to eat off of. I messaged her on the weekend when we have, oh, because we have an inspection coming up, saying I cleaned up all the shared areas. I was very proud of what a good job I did, actually. It looked amazing. She had left some food, drinks, and personal items on the table, so I just put them all in a box next to the table. She told me she was going to have a friend over to help her clean today. I came home today and found she had a half-drunk iced coffee on the kitchen bench and an ashtray and a bowl full of food on the table. So I've just added those items to the box of her things from the weekend. I'm not upset that she didn't clean. I was happy to do it, but I feel angry she just left her mess. I pay half the rent, yet it makes me feel like I can't spend any time in the shared spaces because they're so dirty. I also feel I can't have people over because I'm worried they'll come over and find a mess. In the past, she had a couple of friends over and completely trashed part of the house. And 24 hours after, the place was still a mess. So I had to leave her a note asking if she could clean up so I could make myself dinner. Is doing a dear man text message going to work with someone who's got a lot going on? I'm mindful that if she's struggling with issues, it might be hard to understand these requests. But at the same time, I don't feel like I signed up for these issues. Also, I've gotten legal advice, and I can't leave without continuing to pay the rent until the lease ends. Mm. That sounds rough. I feel mm-hmm. uh, I feel sad for... It's just hard to live in a space that doesn't feel good, right? So just a lot of compassion um, to the listener. Also, a well done for being so considerate. Um, I think a lot of people who were experiencing what you were experiencing wouldn't take the time to go, oh... I think this person may actually also really be struggling and that might be contributing to the behaviors that I'm seeing that I really don't like. Um, so I just hats off to you for, yeah, being that considerate, actually trying to look at the, um, the whole picture. Um, because I will say I understand being messy because I am actually inherently a very messy person. I am definitely prone to leaving mugs and drinks and shit all over the house. But there's a big difference between someone being messy due to mental health reasons or just personality and them not really taking care of spaces they share with someone, right? Or, um, you know, who hasn't signed up for that. I figured my husband knew I was a messy ass before he got married to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You you did not sign on for cleaning up after this person. My husband may have signed on for realizing there are going to be mugs with a you know, quarter inch of tea left in them all over his house for the rest of time. Um, so, right? So I guess I just want to say from a messy person, I still want to say it's totally valid for you to expect to have the shared spaces cleaned up. Us. Uh, especially after you've requested it. Um, there's really far less, if any, um, excuses for not doing it when uh, it's been requested. So I guess the the whole start of this is just a giant dose of validation and appreciation and admiration. So good job, you. Uh, let's see. I think Michelle's going to cover some stuff, so I'm going to leave... Leave those ones to her. I did think that fast might end up being a good skill. Uh, It may even be sort of how you deliver a deer man if you end up doing that. Um, But right, remembering that you can stick to your own values without, you know, apologizing, etc. And you may need to, you know, practice that with her to hold firm on uh, some of these boundaries that you're setting around your shared spaces. Um, I do not know if this is a reasonable thought, but one thing that did occur to me is, uh, some people, and I, I have had housemates in the past who explicitly 
uh, paid more in rent because they didn't want to do as many chores. Uh, that was worth it to them <laughs> to not, not have to do as many chores. They were okay paying more rent. Um, I have no idea if your roommate might be willing to pay perhaps two thirds of the rent instead of half of it. If you're stepping up consistently to do household chores and things around that, um, that they're not stepping up to do for whatever reason. Um, that was an idea I came up with. I know it might be a little weird, but might be an idea. Um, also, I thought the box of stuff, you know, that you put together, you know, put together a box of her things, I guess, right, um, for her to deal with explicitly might also be a thing that you could do more consistently if that worked for the both of you. I'm just like, well, I'm not actually cleaning up your mess. I'm just putting it in one place so I have my space to be able to work with and do what I want. Um, but yeah, I guess fast is the biggest um DBT skill I thought about when listening because it sounds like this person has yeah a lot to stand firm about um, with this roommate. So those are my thoughts, Michelle. How about you? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to start by specifically addressing the question of is doing a dear man text message going to work? Well, we never know <laughs> if it's going to work, right? If what you mean by work is Answer, is the person maybe. going to... <laughs> You're right. It's always a maybe with Dear Man. We, we can't guarantee that. Um, however, I mean, can you do a Dear Man over text? Absolutely. I don't see a reason why not. We talk about this with doing Dear Man when you're doing it in real time verbally with someone. It's important to keep it pretty brief. A sentence, maybe two for the D. A sentence or maybe two for the E. <laughs> One sentence for the A. One sentence for the R. That's that's generally what Kate and I recommend when... I actually don't know if we've ever said that explicitly on the podcast. I know I say that in groups when I'm teaching it. Um, Fair enough. But you, you really do. You want to keep it brief. And I think that's even more important over text. Don't send her like three paragraphs worth of stuff to express how much this is bothering you. Yeah. Keep it short and sweet. That will be really important if you are going to do a dear man over text is what I would say. But yeah, you can absolutely do that. Don't see a reason why not. Uh, there was something that actually, maybe this was a weird thing to stand out to me. But I, I want to go to a specific, specific <laughs> sentence. <laughs> it's been a long day, y'all. Um, a specific sentence that this listener said. And they said, I'm not upset that she didn't clean. I was happy to do it, but feel angry. She just left her mess. I'm going to call you out here. And I think I can do this because, oh, I just saw myself in that sentence because I was like, that's me. I do this thing where I say that something doesn't bother me, but it really does. <laughs> and if we look at that sentence, right, it starts off by saying, I'm not upset. But then it ends with saying, I feel angry she just left her mess. Well, it's one or the other. It can't be, I'm not upset that she didn't clean, but I feel angry that she didn't clean. And so my guess, listener, is that you feel angry about this, but you're trying to stifle that anger a little bit. You're trying to justify and say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. I can do it. You're trying to do that, but this is bothering you enough that you've gotten legal advice about how to get out of this situation. Yeah. And again, the legal advice was that you have to pay until your lease is up. But my sense is that this is making you more angry than you want to let on. And... We talk about this a lot as a general principle of DBT that, you know, you can feel an emotion and you can feel it quite strongly. And that does not necessarily mean that you're going to act on the emotion. This is what the emotion regulation module is all about. How can I feel what I'm feeling and accept it and then from a wise mind place decide what to do with that emotion? 
So it's okay to let yourself feel the anger. That doesn't mean that one day you're just going to completely go off and yell at her. Just one day you're going to be so angry that you're going to start throwing her stuff away. You're probably not going to do those things. But sometimes we worry about that. Like if I let myself feel the emotion, I'm just going to like lose control. Yeah. Not necessarily. I think we actually, as a general principle, become more prone to losing control the more we stuff it in. Rather than just accepting and really naming for yourself, yeah, this does make me angry that she doesn't clean up. I don't like coming home and seeing a messy house. And I don't like having to clean up after her just so I can like function in our own kitchen. This does make me angry. Just start owning it. It's okay. Even if you don't ever voice that to her, which you likely wouldn't a dear man as part of the E, but even if you don't ever voice it to her, voice it for yourself. You don't, you don't need to sugarcoat it. It's okay. Um, and then the final thought that I had was that it might be really beneficial to your mental health, even though you are here until the end of the lease, at least. <laughs> Hopefully then you can find a new living situation that it may be really good for you to start making whatever plans you can or taking steps to prepare to leave. It does us a lot of good psychologically when we can remember that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Even if a tunnel is pretty long, just knowing there's a light at the end of it can really help us get through difficult situations. And so I don't know what that would look like for you here. Maybe it would look like looking for a new place to live online. If you are in a situation where you can't financially afford to live on your own and you do need to split the rent with somebody, Maybe you start trying to already seek out and find who potential new roommates could be. Maybe you start trying to tuck aside a little bit of extra money each month, even if it's not a lot to have it add up so then you'll be able to like pay a security deposit the next place you move to. Whatever it might look like for you, I think that that would be really helpful as you remain in this situation for a little while longer is to remind yourself that there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel and to start yeah whatever whatever it would be but taking some steps to feel hopeful that you are indeed going to get there Mm -hmm. and get out of this lease and get out of this living situation when you can makes sense not stuck forever Yes, not stuck forever. Exactly. Okay, let's see. The next one reads, how does one deal with disappointment? I'm not talking like one shitty day. I mean, nine months straight of not only near constant disappointment, but also at least one significantly stressful and traumatic event every single month. I don't feel safe hoping for or wanting anything at all. I know I sound willful and pessimistic, and at the same time, this year has taught me that no expectation is realistic. I can't even safely anticipate anything. And literally, everything that's happened has been entirely out of my control, so it's not even like I can change my behavior to prevent these random shitty things from happening. I'm trying my hardest to not want anything from a situation or person or whatever. I'm at the end of my rope, and I've never felt this kind of despair in my life, which is saying a lot. Wanting things, anything, seems to lead to disappointment. I'm doing EMDR to try and deal with the worst trauma I experienced this year, and it's been excruciatingly. I just want to feel better. I'm doing some form of therapy five times a week, and I just... I don't know what else to do other than stop wanting things. The disappointment absolutely feels like too much. I don't want to be willful. I just want to be able to set boundaries and respect my own limits. I live and breathe DBT, and it's one of my life's greatest passions. And also, I am totally tapped out. Mm-hmm. What stood out most to me with this... Oh, and I mean... It's a, it's a heavy, it's a heavy post. Yes. It's heavy. Um, but what stands out most to me is what they were saying towards the end about I'm doing some form of therapy five times a week, right? Doing EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, 
it's a type of trauma treatment, right? Like they're, they're doing all these things. And, you know, they, they mentioned at one point, you know, I know I sound willful and pessimistic and yeah, (laughs) (laughs) hear me out here, but I'm like, yeah, because this resonates with me because I would be doing what this listener is doing. Cause this is how willfulness shows up for me. Willfulness shows up to me like I just push and I just add more and more to my plate thinking that it's got to make this better, (laughs) right? If I just do more, right? If I just do more therapy, if I, or if I just do this new type of therapy and I don't want to downplay because it, it, hopefully these things are helping, but sometimes there can be that real tendency of like, I just have to keep pushing until I find some sort of a solution. Willfulness can really look like that sometimes. Certainly not for everybody. Willfulness can look a whole lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. But when I read this, I was like, that's what it would look like for me too, listener. (laughs) It would look like I'm going to try everything I can possibly think of to rebound from all of this disappointment over this last year. So if we were to move more towards willingness, sometimes that looks like letting go. And letting go can also take a whole lot of forms. You know, I think DBT has this idea of sitting on our hands, it says or something, which is a weird phrase. But sometimes, right, people completely just give up. But giving up is different than letting go. You know, giving up is just like, well, what's the point of this, right? I'm just going to not do anything anymore. (laughs) That could also actually start to veer towards a different sort of willfulness. But willingness is saying, okay, I can't necessarily control or fix this. And so I'm really going to do less. And that that can be really freeing. I'm not sure exactly what this could look like. Um, for this listener here. I'm not saying that it necessarily looks like cut back on therapy. Um, If you feel like that would be helpful, you certainly could. But I imagine that there are probably some other areas of life that we're not privy to um, in what they wrote, where it's just kind of like, yeah, you, you might just be able to release some things. Um, because if let's say you are working full-time, let's just throw that theory out there. Let's say you're working a full-time job. You're going to therapy five times a week. What if you have a partner? What if you have children? What if like, there are just all these things where I can think of and I'm like, oh man, like you probably just have a lot on your plate and we just want to see what it would look like to release some of those things and do less and not have the fear of, well, if I'm not doing all of this to try to maintain control, then that means I'm opening myself up to more shitty things happening. You're not. You can let go. And it doesn't mean that all the shitty things are going to just swoop in the minute you decide to do less. So that was something I really resonated with from this. Um Kate has a thing. I'm going to take something from you, Kate, that you have shared um, a number of times in the past, but felt relevant here to repeat, which is the idea of having a favorite moment each day. Kate says this, favorite moment does not mean good moment. No, those are different things. But when you have had a lot of big, bad, awful, terrible things happen in your life, it becomes all the more important to try to find the little moments that are not so bad. Um, The little things that you can maybe find a moment of joy in or a moment of pleasure in. So that may be something to consider doing and practicing. The last thing I'll say, it's so hard. I feel like I'm saying that just around this good day. This is so hard. I don't want these things to come across as being simple. Oh. (laughs) Because they're not. They're not simple. Um, But you are in a really difficult season of life, listener. It's a difficult season. Um, It's not going to last forever. 
And I know that may be hard to believe right now because it's lasted for nine months and counting. I don't know when the end is of this, but it's a season. Everything in life is a season. Sometimes those seasons last years and years and years, but it's a season. It will pass. And to try to just trust that process. And I I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't expect this of you, but if there are things that you can find from what you've experienced these last nine months, where when you're on the other side of that shitty thing, you're able to look at it and go, huh, I, I took something from that. Or, oh, that was that was really awful. But because I went through that, well, now it's helping me get through this other thing. Or, well, now I know this for next time. Um, if you can't be there, that's okay. You don't need to be. But sometimes that can be helpful too for some people, right? Kind of that meaning idea from improve. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can contemplate and just look at that if you're up for it. If you're not, <laughs> don't worry about it. But something to just throw out there too. Okay, your turn, Kate. <laughs> uh, well, I will. It's funny because I don't think I was even necessarily going to talk about willfulness uh, in my response. I just have to point this out because I love it. We obviously, I mean, we all know we project. That's how humans figure stuff out, right? We project ourselves onto what other people are saying and try and make sense of it that way. So you saw in that person's message your kind of willfulness. Mm-hmm. And I told only took their willfulness to be willfully, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to trust anyone. I'm not going to have any positive expectations because uh, that's what leads to hurting. So I'm just not gonna. Mm, and so that, <laughs> I'm just going to like shut down. Yep. I'm not, I'm not even going to mm-hmm. risk it. I'm not going to do anything. Peace out. Mm-hmm. Fuck mm-hmm. off. Right? <laughs> like can't win. Don't try. Got it. That's, that's what I got, which is much closer to my flavor of willfulness. And how it shows up in my life. So uh, if you're listening to this episode, listener, I'd be terribly curious to find out (laughs) which kind of willfulness. Maybe both. both. Yep. I was just going to say maybe both. Um, Anyway. Because people do that. Oh, absolutely. I go back and forth between like, I'm doing all the things, which is what my willfulness is And now I'm doing none of the things. Or then being like, yep, yeah, fuck it all, right? (laughs) That's maybe what your willfulness looks like. So it can go back and forth. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I have no reason to think... (laughs) Either one of us is more right, which is why it's beautiful. It's just, we see ourselves, right? So anyway, I I thought that that was great. Um, So actually, that leads a little bit, uh, right, what order I don't want to say things in. Um, I guess I will start with just try so hard to have a lot of self-compassion, right? You're talking about, I don't know, I don't know if you know Murphy's Law, the what can go wrong will go wrong, but it sounds like your life has been the proving ground for that phrase for the last nine months. Um, I understand the feeling personally. I also have, I have uh, one client who I feel like fate just picks on like so much stupid shit that has nothing to do with her and is entirely out of her control happens in her life. And that's what I was imagining with you listener, right? Is just like medical stuff or, you know, just people and events like, I don't know, natural disasters, whatever, like just a bunch of shit that no one, could do anything about, but that, you know, dramatically and traumatically impacts your life. And so I just really hope that you're tapping into a lot of self-compassion because you're certainly owed it. Like you deserve all of the compassion for having had such a shit-tacular nine months. So try and be kind to yourself. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this I probably have talked about this, Michelle, at some point in somewhere in the podcast, but I I have a theory, a thing that I say to clients all the time, and I actually think it's a, I'm rather proud of it as a lens for looking at the world, which is asking yourself the question, how, how would you like to fuck up? Like, how would you prefer to fuck up in this situation? I think we spend so much of our lives trying not to fuck up, trying not to make mistakes, trying not to make the quote-unquote wrong choice. Um, 
that we end up kind of paralyzed or, or you know, not, not sure what direction to take, things like that, stuck. Um, or making decisions that in the end don't serve us um, because we're trying not to fuck up. So I would, I would put out to you, listener, uh, in your particular situation that in this case, perhaps expecting things, looking forward to things, anticipating things, right? That, that pile is one form of fucking up and nope, I'm not gonna any of those things. I'm just not gonna hope for things, wish for things, expect things, anticipate things. No. Right? That's another kind of fucking up. Let's just assume they're both fuck-ups. And I suggest doing this with most choices. If you just assume that absolutely every choice you have in front of you is a mistake, which mistake would you rather make? Which mistake is in alignment with your values? Which mistake brings you closer to being the person you want to be? Or which mistake is closer to who you are? Right? Um, in this case, I would say that it might boil down to something like, would you rather fuck up by being too cautious? Or would you rather fuck up by being too trusting? Um, and I'm not gonna... I think this is maybe a little unpopular, but I'm not going to say you. there's a wrong choice for you here. I think most people would think inherently to push you to try again, hope again, you know, like, and, and I would like you to hope, obviously. I, I want that to be the choice, but ultimately it comes down to you and your values. I would highly recommend trying to connect either one of those to values or like your sense of self. Um and which course of action more reflects that. I will say that just doing, you know, I've read three paragraphs, you've written psychology. Um, <laughs> you're talking about trying so hard, you love DBT, you're going to therapy five times a week, like you set boundaries, like you're doing all these things. You sound like someone who wants to fuck up by trying. That's just my sense. You sound like someone who, knowing that, yes, absolutely, expecting things, anticipating things, hoping for things, wanting for things, those absolutely leave you open to disappointment and pain. 100%. There's no, there's no way to do those things without risking disappointment. There isn't. And I think you want to risk it, based on what I've read. I understand surface level not wanting to, because it sounds like it's not gone well for nine straight fucking months. That seems like a lot of history, right? I would invite you also to look past the last nine months into the rest of your existence to see if maybe that gives you more of a reason. Um, but yeah, what what fuck up do you want to make? Because um, not fucking up is not really an option in human existence. <laughs> maybe in any given choice there is an option not to fuck up. But broadly speaking, we do not have that choice. So um, best we can do is how. Uh, and then, because I don't know that either one of us had any DBT skills in there <laughs> thus far. Good point. Um, I did want to say self-soothing. Oh my god, you have so much hard and bad shit happening, and you said it's all outside of your control. That means it's all distress tolerance, so distress tolerance skills out the wahoo. Um, and my favorite, of course, is self-soothing, so that's the one I'll focus on. Um, and then also, maybe around your... I'm never going to expect anything ever again stuff, you might try some check the facts, because there might be some outside of the facts uh, emotions weighing in there um, if you look at a long enough timeline. So I think I prattled on for quite a long time on that one, Michelle, but I am done now. <laughs> I like it, though. I really like that point of how do you want to fuck up. Thanks. I think that's great. Okay, this is the last one. Last one. So this one says, what skills do you use to deal with waking up to a bad reality from dreams of things you want and can't have? I'm trying to radically accept my reality, but these dreams are throwing me into major dysregulation. Oh, I will say maybe I'm saved from this a little bit because I don't tend to have, I don't tend to remember my dreams almost at all. Um, and when I do, they're really fuzzy, so... Um, I'm so sorry, first of all, to this person that they're having this experience, because I know that that can be really hard. Um, but actual uh, suggestions is, one, try to find some positive, some good, some pleasure, 
something in your reality. Um, I know the worse your reality is, the harder this is to find, but I can almost guarantee you there's something. You may have to get on a really small scale before there's something, but I bet you there's something. So when you wake up from these dreams and you, the first thing your mind is filled with is, oh my God, I can't have all of those things and I want them so badly. Uh, try and be like, try and be like, try to respond perhaps in your mind a little bit of, okay, that's true, but there are some good things in my life and these are some of those good things, right? To have something you can respond back to because, um, you know, it makes sense to have, to want things we don't have. And also it's good to try and balance that with figuring out what we have that we want. Um, another thing is perhaps, um, sort of shifting the lens that you're taking with those dreams. It sounds like you're taking your dreams and comparing them to your reality, finding your reality wanting. And so just having a lot of dysregulation and, and upset around that. I wonder if there's a way to take pleasure from the dreams in a way. Um, to be like, well, I may not have this while I'm awake, but it's so nice that my brain gives me the opportunity to enjoy these things while I'm asleep. Right? That's something more than nothing. And I get to have that experience. Brains are terrible at telling the difference between dreams and reality. So there's a lot to be said for sort of getting to have that experience through the power of your imagination. So I wonder if you might be able to shift it a little bit to, God, my reality sucks compared to that. Instead to, oh, it's nice that I got to have that, at least for a little while last night. Um, and then uh, lastly, I was just thinking about mindfulness in the morning. Right? If you can uh, wake up and try and do some sort of meditation, maybe a body scan, something to re-anchor you into your world and bring you out of that dream space and also allow you to be observational and non-judgmental around the emotional experience you're having in that moment as well. Um, I think some mindfulness in the mornings could maybe, yeah, be of help. So shorter answer there, but that's it for me. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I think my answer is going to be pretty short as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you were kind of speaking, Kate, a little bit to just dialectical thinking, honestly, of that idea of being able to hold space for, I don't have these dreams and that's hard and disappointing. And also <laughs> how can I find good in my reality? Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, we don't, we don't know a whole lot of what's going on for this listener. You know, what are the dreams? <laughs> what, what are they experiencing when they wake up first thing in the morning and, you know, maybe have that, moment of oh time to face another day right mm -hmm. <laughs> where they're not looking forward to what their reality is i don't know exactly what that looks like for this listener but i don't think this is a terribly uncommon experience where a lot of us maybe have a dream or two that feels really out of reach and sometimes when we think about that a lot and wonder and ruminate about the barriers in our way of getting to that dream and why it feels so out of reach that, yeah, all it does is really, is really bring us down. And so I thought of a DBT skill that we honestly don't talk about very much. It's, no, we don't. <laughs> you know, we have these, we have these go-to ones, I guess you could say, right? Mindfulness, wise mind, self-soothing, like <laughs> We have these DBT skills that are well-known. I mean, please, dear man, right? These, these ones that we talk about a lot. Problem solving? No. I don't know if we've ever really said it on a Q&A, but I thought of it. And I said to Kate, I was like, there's this DBT handout. I can see it <laughs> in my mind. And Kate found it for me. Um, so I'll, I'll name it so that you can... Look it up, um, listener. And it's in our Facebook group under the guide section. We did do an episode about problem solving. We so did, yes. There is stuff out there about this. But if you want to Google it, um, just search for Emotion Regulation Handout 12. 
and it will pull it right up and you can look at it. But there's this page at the beginning of that and it goes through these steps because it's really about identifying what your goal is and then trying to figure out what steps you can start taking towards that goal, towards solving this problem, whatever it may be. And I believe it says, of course, I pulled up the handout and now I don't have it in front of me anymore because I closed out that window. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm kind of going off the top of my head, but I'm pretty confident that there's a piece of that that wants you to pick a step you can do today. Mm-hmm. Today. That will bring you closer to that goal. Now, this goal may be 5,000 miles away. And what it's really asking you to do is to take a step. You have many, many, many miles to go. But to take a step towards it. And that's what I would encourage you to do, listener. Whether your dream is to, I don't know, buy a house or have a family of your own or shift careers or whatever it is. And you may be like, I can't do anything to get there today. This handout may help you really zoom in and get clear. There, there, there may be more than you think to try to start taking a step. It's kind of actually that light at the end of the tunnel idea I was talking about with the other listener. Mm-hmm. I want you to feel like you have some light at the end of the tunnel. Don't get me wrong. It's also a really common experience that we have dreams that we don't ever realize, right? There might be a place you want to travel to that you don't wind up traveling to before you die. This happens. I mean, some people maybe can say they checked off everything on their bucket list, but most of us are going to be like, oh, maybe I did one or two things, but there were like 10 things left undone. We don't get all of our dreams sometimes, and that can be disappointing, and that's also okay. But to pick maybe the biggest dream that you have, and I want you to feel empowered to start going after it, whatever it is, find some small step you can take. And maybe that will help so that these dreams are not feeling so out of reach from reality. It may take you a long time to get there, but if you go slowly but surely and you have a sense of direction of what the steps are that you need to take, you might be able to to get there. Okey-doke. That's that. Right. That's that. Um, All right. Well, if you would like to have your query featured on a future Q&A, you can certainly email us at dbtandmepodcast at gmail.com. Or we do grab a lot of posts from the Facebook group, so you can join us there. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, everyone. And we'll get back to you guys with Q&A number 44 soonishly (laughs) (laughs) thanks everybody Bye. bye to learn more about us and the dbt skills we're teaching each week join our facebook group simply log in to your facebook profile and search for dbt and me podcast